0: So, tonight, <clears throat> I'm continuing on with the series that I've been teaching. And so, let's just put our faith out tonight that I will be a vessel. Father, you know that I need your help every time I get up to speak because I need the Holy Spirit to speak through me, think through my mind, speak through my mouth, take the words and, and anoint them and cause them to. To be powerful for the kingdom of God, because your word is powerful, and it's sharper than a two-edged sword, and it divides between the spirit and soul and the joints and the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So, Father, we just depend on you tonight. I pray, Father, that this word will penetrate into every person to such an extent that they can be doers of the word and not hearers only. And I believe, Lord, that you're raising up a church here in Guymon, Oklahoma. You're raising up a church that we are building your kingdom one relationship at a time. And, Lord, we will see a mighty influx of souls into your kingdom as we put ourselves in your hands, as you build up your kingdom on the inside of us. And then it will spill over and it will affect everyone around us. And we just thank you, Holy Spirit. Give me utterance tonight. Thank you, Lord, for your Word. It's precious. We honor it. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are. Uh, I am sharing a series. This will be number seven. And just in case you want to know, it will. It, this is a ten-part series. So we're we're getting close to the end, but not quite there. But. I believe that you have received something from it. Hopefully you have. I know I have. I know how I have had a chance to use it. And hopefully uh, you've just uh, been, had a home run on using it whenever you had a challenge. So tonight, uh, let's just start put, uh, with putting up our foundation scripture. Uh, Galatians 5, 14. Um, I put this up every time because I want to remind you that this is where we're coming from. This is what we're trying to establish in our lives and in the lives of the life of the church. For the whole law concerning human relationships is complied with in one precept. You shall love your neighbor as you do yourself. So we've been talking about the law of love. And, and hopefully... Uh, We've been internalizing that to such a degree that we can recognize when we're walking in love and when we're not. So our goal is to just help you develop because we find out in Philippians, the first chapter that love is developed in our life. And so I, in this series, I'm trying to help you, me and the Holy Spirit is trying to help you and help me to, uh, we're, we're trying to show you how to take what we've learned about love and apply it in our lives in different situations. So that's what's important. You know, we can her- learn about love, and yes, it's good, and you can say a big amen whenever we read about love. and, and it's, uh, But then whenever you go out into the marketplace or at home, then sometimes we don't know how to apply it. And that's really what is important is to apply the word. Because Jesus said in Luke the sixth chapter that you must build a foundation if your house is going to stand. It's got to have a foundation. And the foundation, if you read the context, the foundation is being a doer of the word. Not just a hearer of the word but a doer of the word. So the Bible tells us in James that the doer of the word is blessed. So if you don't know how to apply the love walk in different situations, you can be blindsided sometimes. I know I have been. I just have to tell you, I was this week. I was blindsided. And (laughs) I'm not going to tell you the details, but uh, I... I found myself having to apologize because I got back to my room and I thought, oh, my goodness, I think I walked out of love. Duh. So the only way to remedy that is you got to apologize, repent and apologize. And that's not very much fun. So I think, okay, I'm not going to do that again. So we'll see. So tonight, I want to talk about another aspect of applying the love walk, and I think this is probably something that we've all had to deal with, and I'm going to just start with telling you a story out of my life. This was in 1966, and um, this, I'll just call this an aggravating day on the ranch, because uh, pastor, uh, he wasn't a pastor then. Charlie and I were living on a 19-section ranch down 20 miles north of Pampa, Texas, and um, it was a beautiful, beautiful ranch. Um, that ranch house was, well, it was the nicest house that I ever lived in. It had 13 rooms, it had three bathrooms. It was had like. Um, Oh, real tall ceilings, hardwood floors, two-story house, um, a veranda around the front of it. And I thought I was living in a mansion. So I loved, I, I, I had figured out every Friday I was going to clean my house, whether it needed it or not. And so I, uh, I kept my hardwood floors shiny, and uh, I was really proud of that house. Well, we had been gone uh, to visit Charlie's parents and we got home late on a Sunday night and the next morning when I got up I I knew that I had a lot to do that day because Charlie's brother and sister-in-law was coming to visit and see the ranch and see my house. So I, of course, I had plans to just have it spick and spin and the Uh, make a feast for him that night and just, you know, I had all these plans and I overslept, first of all. Then, uh, so that Quentin was like 20 months, 20 months old at that time. That's our oldest, Quentin. And so I, he, he, I wanted him to oversleep. He didn't oversleep. So I had to take care of him and uh, I shooed him out to go see Charlie down at the barn and then I mopped, and uh, just as I was wringing out my mop, uh, the, f- the faucet gurgled. Now, I don't know if you know how devastating that is when you live on a ranch for the faucet to gurgle because that means we're running out of water. And I, the, the sure enough, when I turned the faucet back on, No water. And I thought, what am I going to do to clean this house, finish cleaning this house with no water? And I became aggravated. We're going to talk about aggravation tonight. I became very aggravated because I knew that it had to be Charlie's fault. Because we had a stock tank and then we had the storage tank for the house. And the same uh, water furnished both, but we had to turn it back and forth. So it would either be on the stock tank or it'd be on the storage tank. So if we forgot to turn it over, I say we as though I had anything to do with it, which I didn't. And so uh, anyway, he had forgotten to turn the water over to the house, the storage tank. And so we were out of water. Until the wind blew, we would have no water. And you know... That day, the wind forgot to blow. So I, about that time, I heard this scream outside, and I recognized it as Quentin. And I rushed outside, and he was out by the trash barrel, and he had cut his leg on a fruit jar, a broken fruit jar. And it was bleeding profusely. I had no water to clean it up. So I marched down to the, to the barn, and um, I probably should just blank out the next few minutes, but uh, <laughs> I don't think I'll tell you except that Charlie, I was very angry, and Charlie was a blunt of my anger. And so he, uh, he offered to take Quentin into town to the doctor, and see if it needed to be stitched up, and get him a tetanus shot. And then he said he would get me a water truck for some water. So I breathed a sigh of relief, and then he left. And so I finished dusting and everything, and I had the living room looking really good. And I had taken a potted plant, or an ivy plant, off of the coffee table to dust it, and I'd set it over on the television. Then I picked it up to take it back and set on the coffee table, and it slipped out of my hands, and my beautiful floor became covered with dirt and mud, and time was passing quickly. And all of a sudden, I had a moment of insanity. And I screamed out, and I said, I can't take it anymore. I'm getting out of here. And I ran out the door. Remember, this is 1966, okay? Just, you know, be gentle with me. But uh, I ran into Charlie when I was running out, and he said, what in the world happened? And I told him about the ivy. And I said, I'm getting out of here. And I just ran. I got in the car, drove away. I don't know what he thought I was going to do. I didn't know what I was going to do. But I honestly, I had reached a breaking point at that moment. Well, a little while later, I did come back. And when I got back, Charlie had cleaned up the mess. And so when my brother-in-law and sister-in-law came that night, they didn't know the insanity that had gone on that day. But I w- turned into a basket case. And the truth is, I turned into a basket case often because I didn't know how to handle things. I was easily upset. And I made this, I wrote down this statement. Things, uh, things that are not balanced very well get upset easily. And in those days, I was not very balanced because I felt like everything needed to be perfect and I needed to be in control. And the the problem is, most of us have a little bit of that on the inside of us. But the truth is, Things that are out of your control are out of your control. You cannot control everything in your life. You can't control circumstances and you can't control people. And so what happens in those kind of situations when circumstances arise and somebody or something doesn't go the way that you think it needs to go to keep you comfortable and the way you think it needs to go, then we feel like that we have a right to get upset and aggravated. So Jesus didn't think that way. I'll tell you what happens whenever you get aggravated. And actually, just to give you the title of this, is stop allowing yourself to get aggravated. That's what we're talking about tonight. What happens when you get aggravated, your peace is disturbed. You've all experienced it. We've all experienced it. It's no fun when your peace leaves and you get all a lot of turmoil on the inside of you. So in John, the 14th chapter, the 27th verse, Jesus addresses this. He says, peace I leave with you, my own peace. Now, I just want to stop there. Jesus is the prince of peace. And I want you to remind you that peace is part of the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace. So actually, when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, He expects us to walk in perfect peace. The Bible says you can walk in perfect peace if your mind is stayed on him. So Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my own peace I now give and bequeath to you. He gave it to us. So we have it. And it's not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. He's talking about all of our hearts. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Then listen to this. Stop allowing yourself to be agitated and disturbed. And do not permit yourself to be fearful, intimidated, and cowardly, and unsettled. Now I want to go back to, just roll it back. So he, he uses these terms do not let, uh, stop allowing, and do not permit. So whose responsibility is it for us to maintain our peace? Ours. We can, we can make a choice in any situation whether we're going to maintain peace or get aggravated. And Jesus said, you know, this is an open book test. He said, choose peace. Quit allowing. Don't allow yourself to get aggravated. Can you go through life and not be ever aggravated? Well, I think there is a place where you can. Now, I can't say that I have arrived, but I can say that I am not the same insane person that I was back on the ranch in 1966. There is, it is important, no matter what happens in your life, that you maintain your peace. You got to get it first and then maintain it. I was uh, listening to uh, somebody interview Nancy Defrain, and I don't know if you know who she is. A lot of you do. Some of you don't. Her husband Ed Dufresne, came here to Victory Center many years ago. Uh, that was even that was before he married Nancy, and um, Nancy is on Victory Channel, and I, I love to listen to her. So I was really intrigued with that interview, and they asked her, and in ju- um see, I think it was 2013, if I may be wrong on that, I didn't write that down, but in 2013, her husband, Ed, uh, she and her husband had started a church, and uh, they were pastoring the church, in uh, 2013, I believe, um, I don't even know who he was flying with, but there was an airplane crash, and he was killed in the airplane crash, so they asked her this question, when you got the word that Ed had been killed in a plane crash, what did you do? She said, when I heard that, she said, I made a decision. I had been living in peace for many years, and I decided that I would not let that disturb my peace. Now, you know, truly, it probably doesn't get any worse than that. But God has exalted her, but she was a doer of the word and decided. She had every reason in the world to get upset, angry, whatever else goes with that. But she chose not to. So you can choose not to get aggravated. Now, the best time to choose that is beforehand make a decision beforehand that you're not going to get aggravated. We see in uh, Mark, the. let's look at uh, Mark, the fourth chapter. I was going to read you a definition of aggravation, but you know what? We all know what it is. Is there anybody here that's never been aggravated in your life? Okay, then you know what it's like. <laughs> Some, uh, you know, it's. we have all gotten aggravated. The, the sad part is when we stay aggravated, um, but it's better not to get aggravated because peace, living in peace, is priceless. In Mark, the 14th chapter, oh, excuse me, 4th chapter, um, this is just the account of when they got into the boat Jesus and the disciples, and they were going to go to the other side. They'd had a full day of ministry, and they got in the boat, and uh, they started out, and all of a sudden there was a tumultuous wind that came. And uh, in verse 37, it was a furious storm of wind of hurricane proportions arose, and the wind. Waves kept beating into the boat so that it was already become filled, becoming filled. Now, to me, that was panic; would be panic time. I mean, I don't know how to swim. And, of course, they did, evidently. But uh, Jesus himself, in the middle of the storm, was asleep. During the storm of hurricane proportions, he was asleep on the leather cushion and they woke him and said to him, Master, do you not care that we are perishing? And I don't, you know, I, I, I would have liked to seen Jesus' face when he woke up. But I'm sure he was shaking his head. He arose and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush now, be muzzled. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm, a perfect peacefulness. And then he rebuked the disciples. He said to them, Why are you so timid and fearful? How is it that you have no faith, no firmly relying trust? And they were filled with great awe. I'm just going to stop there. What Jesus addressed in that moment was what he would address us when a storm comes our way and we get all agitated, aggravated, fearful. He would say to us, you have an issue with faith and trust. Now, faith and trust are not the same thing. They they are twins. But faith, when you have faith, you have faith in the promises and the word of God. When you have trust, you trust in the character of God. You trust that God is a good God. And he means what he says. And he's true to his word. So, faith and trust was something that the disciples lacked in that moment. And so therefore, they were upset, they were agitated, and they had no peace. Jesus, on the other hand, had peace. And because he had peace, he could stand up in the bow of that boat and rebuke the storm, and it had perfect peacefulness. Because he had peace on the inside. Now, peace comes, let me just say this. Jesus' peace came from faith and trust in the Father. Our peace comes by faith and trust in the Father. That's where our faith comes from. So uh, when you get into a situation that is not good... How you handle it is very important. I'm going to tell you what not to do, and then I'm going to tell you what to do. So the way you don't handle it is the way the children of Israel did not handle their situation. Now, interest you know, I don't understand them, but yet I do, because they were just as human as we are. But they walked, had God ever parted a sea for anybody and they walked through on dry ground what kind of god is that that can do that miraculous thing like that and they had all walked through and then they got out in the wilderness and you know what they started doing murmuring and complaining every time a situation made them uncomfortable what did they do murmur and complain And God is a God of patience. He put up with them. But there was times that he said, I have almost had it with you. And then there was a time that when they got to the promised land, they got there well-fed. God had provided for them miraculously. They were well-fed. Their clothes didn't wear out. Their shoes didn't wear out. That is miraculous. Miraculous. That would be a little frustrating for us women because then we wouldn't have any reason to buy anything, but there was no place to buy it anyway. So it was probably a good deal. So they arrived at the promised land. They sent in the spies. The spies came back and 10 of them gave the bad report. Two of them said, we can do this. Let's just go right on in. They had Joshua and Caleb had no problem with faith and trust. But the rest of them did. The whole congregation did. So I want to look at uh, Numbers 14, just just a few verses here. Just to remind you and refresh you of what kind of situation it was. In verse 2, after the spies said, you know, we can't do it. We're like grasshoppers and so on. And just, you know, they started crying. Verse 1 says they cried and wept all night long. And all the Israelites grumbled and deplored their situation. This is verse 2. Accusing Moses and Aaron to whom the whole congregation said. Would that we had died in Egypt or that we had died in this wilderness. Look at verse 11. Just want to show you the attitude they had. And the Lord said, said to Actually I'm going to read 10. I didn't give you this one. But 10 said. They wanted to stone uh, Joshua and Caleb because they had a good report. Because they were faith. They were speaking faith. And uh, they wanted to stone them. You know, I don't know if we've ever been in a situation, but I think there have been situations where those that said, we can actually do it. The others say, are you kidding me? I don't want to hear it. Verse 11, and the Lord said to Moses, how long will this this people provoke, spurn, and despise me? See, God takes it personal when we don't trust him. Especially when he had given them a promise. I'm giving you a whole land, a promised land. And he, he gave him all kinds of promises about that land. And so they're, they're actually slapping God in the face. How long will it be before you believe me, trusting in, relying on, clinging to me for all the signs which I've performed among you? And then verse 27. God's still speaking. How long will this evil congregation murmur against me? Have you ever murmured uh, because of your situation? Okay. Just checking. Um, I have heard the complaints of the Israelites murmur against me. God hears murmuring and complaining. You thought you were just saying it to yourself or you were saying it to your spouse or calling somebody up on the phone and saying it. But guess what? God heard it too. So verse 28, tell me as I live, says the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I'm going to do it to you. And what did they say? We're going to die in this wilderness. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. God said, okay, you're going to die. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. Of all who were numbered of you from 20 years old and upward, you have murmured against me. It does not pay to murmur about a situation. Murmuring and complaining will never change your situation, but faith and trust in God can. That's how not to handle the storms in your life it could get you dead well it did them it's it's not a god is the only one sometimes if if your situation you can't control it which most generally we can't there's only one that can you need supernatural help cuz you have a lot of problems being god i don't know if you've noticed you actually do not qualify to be God and it's very frustrating to try to be God when you're not qualified to be God and so you get aggravated when you can't be God we need God so here in Philippians uh, the Philippians the fourth chapter so here we have Paul now, he, uh, he has been in many bad situations. And um, he, he actually says in this, what we're going to, ready to lead, read, he said, I have a secret. So I want to start with uh, verse 11. Ch- uh, chapter 4, verse 11 of Philippians. Not that I'm implying that I was in any, in any personal want, for I have learned how to be content, satisfied to the point where I'm not disturbed or di- disquieted in whatever state I'm in. See, that's where we want to be. No matter what state you're in. I know how to be obeys, verse 12, and live humbly in straitened circumstances. And I also know how to enjoy plenty and live in abundance. He says, I have learned... In any and all circumstances, the secret of facing every situation, whether well-fed or going hungry, having a sufficiency to spare or going without or being in want. I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. I am ready. See, he's ready for anything. Why? Because he has the secret. I'm ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses in inner strength into me. That is, I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. So he says he has a secret. So we need to find out what that secret is. Well, he tells us in this uh, this chapter what the secret is. So we'll start with verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Delight and gladden yourself in him. Again, I say rejoice. Now, why would you need to gladden yourself? Because you probably aren't glad. At the time you're having a problem, you're probably not as glad as you need to be. And so you start with rejoicing in the Lord. It doesn't say rejoice in your situation. Thank God for your situation. Hallelujah. I'm just so thankful that I'm, you know, that I don't have money to pay my bills. That is not what he's talking about. He says rejoice what? Rejoice in the Lord. Why can you rejoice in the Lord? Well, we'll find out. Uh, I'm going to drop down to uh, verse 6. Do not fret or have any anxiety about anything, but in every circumstance and in everything by prayer and petition, definite requests with thanksgiving, continue to make your wants known to God. So he's just telling us his secret. See, he starts by rejoicing because he knows that if you have faith and trust in God, you're going to have a reason to rejoice when it's all over. So you start out, you, pray, you, you refuse to be anxious, what Jesus said in Mark 4. Don't let yourself, don't fret or have any anxiety. But in every circumstance, prayer, petitions... Thanksgiving. You pray, you give thanksgiving, and then what happens? It says and God's peace will be yours. That tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ and not fearing and fearing nothing from God, content with this earthly lot of whatever sort that is, that peace which transcends all understanding. Well, garrison and mount guard over your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. That's why Jesus could go to sleep in the storm. He knew all he had to do. Pray to his father. And God would begin to work in that situation. How do I know that he knew that? Because if we look at Acts 16. Now, you know the story in Acts 16. Uh, Paul and Silas... Was, had a min, was taking a ministry trip to Philippi. And there, uh, they had an encounter with a woman. Now, she, she just followed him around, and she just said, uh, you know, he, she just waved everybody down. hey, 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 these are the men of God. Hey, 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 they'll show you the way of salvation. You know, that turned a lot of people off. And so, after a little while, I mean, she, what she was saying was okay, but she was demon-possessed. It came from a demonic source, and Paul finally recognized it, and he got annoyed, the Bible said. He got very annoyed, and so he just cast the devil out of her. And that caused quite a stir, because she'd been reading people's palms and telling, them for, telling their fortunes and making money for these people. So they took Paul and Silas, they whipped them with rods, it says, on their, their back, and threw them in prison. So uh, let me start, well, in verse 22, the crowd also joined in the attack upon them, and the rulers tore the clothes off of them, and commanded that they be beaten with rods. And when they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into the prison Charging the jailer to keep him safely. And he had received so strict a charge to put them in the inner prison, the dungeon, and fastened their feet in stocks. So, here they were. They're doing the work of God. They had not done anything wrong. They'd just been obeying God, Jesus' command. Cast out demons. When you see one, cast them out. And all of a sudden they find themselves in the deepest, darkest part of the dungeon in stocks with their back beaten to a pulp. I don't think that would be a very nice situation to find yourself in. So what do you think would come out of your mouth if you were in that situation? Would there be any murmuring and complaining or questioning God? God, I thought you told me to come here and look at what happened. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe you'd let this happen to us. Not one word of murmuring or complaining came out of their mouth. It says, uh, verse 25, it, be, it got to be midnight Now, that's a tough time in the life of a person when they're going through a hard time. Midnight is really tough. So, what did they do? Paul and Silas, what did they do? Prayed and sang hymns. And the other prisoners were listening to them. What are they doing? Exactly what Paul tells us in Philippians. They begin to rejoice. Hallelujah. They begin to sing. They prayed first. That's what he said to do. You pray. Then you give thanksgiving. And then peace will come. Right in the middle of their peace, the prison started to shake. And their chains fell off. Their stocks, however, they came loose. They were free. You know what? Freedom in the midst of a storm is great. You can be captive. You can stay captive to the murmuring and complaining and the circumstances. Or you can do what Paul said to do. Rejoice. Pray, rejoice, and then peace. Pray, rejoice, and peace. And you know the rest of the story. How as a result of that, the jailer got saved. The whole, his whole household got saved. They, the jailer fed him a good meal and they got out of jail the next day. I think I would like that kind of results. But that's... See, Paul knew. Paul knew what, how to operate his secret. So... Um, that is the way you handle... I, I'm just trying to think how much more of this I want to share, but um, it's not just circumstances that we have problems with. There's two sources of aggravation. Would you put up that picture? I don't know if you can see that real well, but that is a porcupine. Now, porcupines are, uh, they're kind of cute, and they just ample through life, you know, they're just They mind their own business and they ample through life and and they have no close relationships because nobody wants to get close to them because of this reason. If they get riled, they can hurt you. They have the means to hurt you. That's the way people are when they get aggravated every time they get riled up. And we will live in this life and run into quite a few porcupines. But the thing that we don't want to do is to be a porcupine. There are people, you know, they, they, they have a, a good personality. But I mean, if they get in a tight situation... Or if you say something wrong to them or don't do something that you, they want you to do, the porcupine quills go everywhere. And if you're close to them, you can get hurt. So there's two sources of aggravation that you can get involved in. And that is circumstances. And we talk quite a bit about circumstances. But people, people. Are we going to be a porcupine? That's the question. Now, the problem with a porcupine person is this. They are short on patience. Don't you love that word? If you will read 1 Corinthians 13 and the description of love, what's the very first thing it says that love is? Love is patient and kind. Now, porcupine people are not patient. They are impatient. And so, um, I want to give you a definition of patience. Uh, I have this written down before I give you the the definition. I just want to read this. The kind of aggravation that arises as a result result of imperfections, inconsistencies, or immaturity in, in individuals. See, that's what we're facing in our life. The sad part about it is you can hardly find a perfect person unless you look in the mirror. At least some people think. But... Honestly, you're going to run into inconsistencies, imperfections, and immaturity in individuals everywhere you go, because there is not a perfect person. And so what you have to have to not be a porcupine is patience with imperfections in people, immaturities, inconsistencies. So here's the meaning of the word patient. It means long-suffering or forbearance. So the definition of long-suffering is this. Enduring the injuries of offense for a long time without complaining. This includes forbearance towards the faults and the infirmities of others. All the while possessing a quiet, tolerant fortitude under distress or annoyance and forbearance means this refraining from claiming or enforcing a right and abstaining from retaliation and retribution. That sounds like a big job, but that's what patience is. It's not claiming your rights, not demanding your rights. And that's what we've been kind of studying this whole series it, whenever we love somebody, we don't put demands on other people to be perfect. are you going to get aggravated? back uh, when I started having children, this was a long, long time ago, and uh, I discovered something. You see, I was raised in a home and I dearly love my mother, but she was a very impatient person. And I found out how hurtful impatience is. Impatience has a tone of voice about it that says, uh, I don't love you. In fact, I can't hardly stand you. That's just kind of the way it comes across. It's very hurtful. And I was very hurt uh, in that kind of a situation. So when I started having children, I thought, uh, I thought, you know, I, I thought I was patient. But, I mean, when the kids started being kids, I realized that the same impatience that my mother had, I had inherited. And I didn't like it. I despised it in myself. And I I know I'd heard people say, don't pray for patience. Uh, So I didn't pray for patience. Actually, I did. I said, Lord, I really want to be patient. And the Lord began to talk to me about patience. And he informed me that patience is a fruit of the Spirit. It's it's, uh, one of the... You know, long-suffering. It's in the Galatians 5, and 23. And so he said this to me, it's a fruit of the spirit and you have it on the inside of you. And just like love, it can be released at any time that you want it to. And I, I was going to bring my faucet and I forgot. But um, you, you can visualize my faucet. my love faucet. So, down on the inside of you, you have patience. You can turn it on or you can leave it off. Your default, because our default is selfishness, our default is always impatience. So, you have to turn on your patience. So, I thought, okay, well, if it's the fruit of the Spirit, how, what do I need to do? And I just decided this, okay... Since I know I have it on the inside of me, I'm going to pretend like I'm, fa- I'm patient. So every time I would feel impatient, start to rise up, I'd pretend like I was patient. I would, uh, I would grit my teeth, and I would just not say what I wanted to say in the way that I wanted to say it. And I would just force myself to be patient. And I did that for a little while, and one day I realized, you know what? I don't feel impatient anymore. I feel patient. And that became a lifestyle for me. So my kids almost had to live with a porcupine. But I don't think they would say that they had to. Because I did learn patience. And it made a difference. You can learn patience as well. Uh, it's just releasing it. And actually, Colossians tells us how to do it. Colossians, okay. So Paul writes to the Colossians, and he says, clothe yourself, therefore, as God's own chosen ones, his his own picked representatives, who are purified and holy and well-beloved by God himself by putting on behavior marked by tenderhearted pity and mercy, kind feeling a lowly opinion of yourself, gentle ways and patience, which is tireless and long suffering is tireless and long suffering and has the power to endure whatever comes with good temper. Be gentle and forbearing with one another. And if anyone has a difference, a grievance or complaint against one another, readily pardoning each other, even as the Lord has freely forgiven you so much, you also forgive. We talked about that on Sunday. So go back to that first verse that we, uh, so clothe yourself, put it on, put on patience. Don't go around naked. With impatience. Put on patience. Clothe yourself with it. It is a choice. And then whenever you clothe yourself. With patience. And quit getting aggravated. At anything that gives you a hiccup. In life or a bump along your road then this is what's going to happen. Would you put up the um, Philippians 4, 11 through 13 in the TPT? This is Paul sa- talking. We've already read this in the Amplified. But I'm telling you this because I'm in, I'm not telling you this because I'm in need. For I have learned to be satisfied in any circumstances. I know what it means to lack, and I know what it means to experience overwhelming abundance. For I'm trained in the secret of overcoming all things, whether in fullness or in hunger. And I find that the strength of Christ's explosive power. I can hear Pastor Charlie reading that over and over. He loved that that part. I find that the strength of Christ's explosive power infuses me To conquer every difficulty, God does not leave us alone. When we go through life, if we truly, truly want to maintain our peace and keep peace in our lives, then we must do something. We can't just go with the wind and the waves. Because our default is to be aggravated. So I just want to encourage you. um, I was, I, I don't have it written down, but I have a declaration that I made. I just declare right now that no matter what happens to me, no matter what anybody says or does to me, I refuse to get aggravated that should be what we internalize on the inside of our lives ahead of time don't wait till the aggravation comes because emotions get involved and sometimes we can't stop that roller coaster it has been our honor to offer this message today if you would like to partner with us as we continue to bring the Word of God We would ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Victory Center with a financial donation. You may do so today via the online giving portal at victorycenter.org. Thank you.